0: Welcome back to the Cutlass Podcast. I thought today we'd change the perspective. As you know, most of the episodes come from a leadership perspective and a leadership experience perspective, but I think it's also important to understand that we are all followers too, and that follower perspective is important too. So I've got a great guest. Uh, His name is Dan Richard. He's actually my co-author for the upcoming Petty Officer's Guide. So as you know, we have the Chief Petty Officer's Guide, but I thought it was important to write a Petty Officer's Guide because I think there's a target audience there that has an appetite for leadership and management development topics. So Dan is uh, frankly a younger guy than the old retired fleet mass chief, but Dan and I started talking about this and I was like, hey, it'd be cool to start bringing him as a guest to discuss a perspective from the follower side of things. So Dan, how are things going? Welcome to the Cutlass Podcast.
1: Good morning, Paul. Thanks for having me. Um, things are going extremely well. Um, uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here and excited to kind of share some of what I observed as a junior leader in the Navy and just looking forward to the conversation.
0: First of all, tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: I came into the Navy in, uh, in 2009. I've been on several different platforms from Riverines to the HSM squadrons and also the Pentagon. That's actually where I'm stationed now, working on the DOD CIO staff. Um, but being in those different environments and positions has really afforded me the opportunity to learn a lot and observe a lot of different leadership styles and approaches from you know the most senior leaders in the organization to, I mean, even the most junior guys and gals.
0: So yeah, I'm excited for getting your perspective and the perspective of your peers and others. So let's dive into it. Are you ready to go? ready to go. All right. Let's talk about the goods and bads of leadership. Like we talked about as a follower, sometimes that's viewed as, you know, some people can perceive that in a very passive way. I see it in a very active way. So I've mentioned this on prior episodes, just because you're a leader, you have expectations for your teams and your people, and you have expectations for your peers, but the followers have expectations for their leaders as well. And we can follow all day just because you have a positional authority to tell us to do things and we have to do those things. But to develop buy-in, you've really got to learn to connect with those followers. And I think in many cases, it aligns with connecting with their expectations of a leader. I did an episode with uh, retired master chief, Rich Curtis. We talked about some theories that underlie that kind of perspective, right, of expectations. Let's get into some of your expectations that you've had for leaders and what you've seen good and bad. So let's always start with the Good. So, one of the things you told me that you look for in your leaders is emotional intelligence. So, talk to us about that.
1: Okay. So, emotional intelligence, it really speaks to a leader's capacity to kind of be aware and control and express emotions um, and really be able to balance, you know, competing uh, personalities and interests in the shop. That's a quality that I've come to admire first and foremost. Um, and I've actually been fortunate to have been a part of a lot of different teams where the leadership has been emotionally intelligent and cognizant and able to effectively balance those competing interests and competing personalities. So that way we can, you know, do what we need to do. We can achieve the mission as a a yeoman. It's very important because, I mean, we're kind of like that gateway, like in the HSM community, for example, between the maintainers who are working on the helos to the senior leadership and it can be a little hectic at times, but if you have leadership that's emotionally aware and can kind of filter the competing interests, I mean, you can, you can do some amazing things. I mean, that's what leads to battle ease and a lot of uh, commendations for the organization as a whole.
0: You know, I've read books. I've done little courses on emotional intelligence. So from the follower perspective, when you're looking at your leaders, what does emotional intelligence look like? How do you know you have a leader that's being tuned into you emotionally?
1: So you, you have a, a leader who's mostly intelligent when they kind of take that extra step to communicate, you know, to, hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a pause on our normal operations to see how everything is going personally and professionally. And this is, this is kind of separate from what you would think is your, your career development boards. This is more kind of a one on one and then sometimes a team conversation.
0: Yeah, I've seen it as when I think of emotional intelligence, I'm like, hey, when as a leader or a person projecting influence. I've got to be able to sense how that influence is being received and be able to adapt to it, right? So if I put out influence or if I'm talking to a group, I'm watching that group and I'm sensing, right? I have the intelligence in this innate way to look out and go, hey, they're either receiving the message and they're agreeing with it or internalizing it or they're rejecting it per se. And then when I see that they're rejecting it, I think the good leader is able to adapt to that rather than taking a defensive position. What do you think about that?
1: i mean i I completely agree with that with that assessment
0: so on the other side, you would have a leader who is more close minded. What's been your experience right. with a closed minded leader, and what do they look like
1: close minded leader usually they they may greet change per se or you know an idea you may have to improve some sort of process with some with some resistance or they may not want to you know champion uh uh what could be a good idea or at least have to open a conversation about the quality of ideas that's kind of what that looks like to me and in, in one of my previous duty stations we actually did some sort of idea generation and and pitching to senior leadership and to how to create buy-in and kind of cheats the leadership on the on one end to be able to be comfortable with new ideas coming from rabbit junior people and vice versa
0: from your experience what's the impact on the team of the closed-minded leader
1: i mean <laughs> when uh when you're not really being heard or listened to. I mean, it it can be pretty egregious. I mean, you may not be as driven as you normally would be if you kind of feel, you know, your your ideas are, you know, falling on deaf ears or or no one's really kind of taking you you seriously. It, it, I think it, it really impacts a sailor, you know, personally.
0: What leads a leader to be closed minded?
1: Maybe some past experience. It may be also the, you know. The status quo, you know, you get into a position and things may have worked for that leader a lot in the past so far, and they may feel that there's no reason to take that pivot and become more of an open leader or just even be open into having reasonable debate and discussion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then you don't accept team input to most parts, right? Or it's this constant like, hey, I know better kind of attitude and then get rid your personal power. And then people start to lose trust in you as a leader per se, and they don't buy into you. So they're going to do what you say because you're the leader or you're, you have positional responsibility and authority over them. But you're not going to, when you're closed-minded, you're going to limit the amount of buy-in you get in the team.
1: Well, I also kind of think that that in turn leads to micromanagement. and micromanagement is, that's, I wouldn't necessarily say the inability, but for a lack of better word, the inability for a leader to displace trust and allows a certain level of autonomy for their personnel to kind of take the wheel on some things.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting with micromanagement, right? So again, this is the perspective of the follower. So what makes you feel like you're being micromanaged? So I think that's important to understand.
1: Micromanagement looks like a leader, a leader constantly being in the weeds, so to speak. You know, asking for constant updates. You know, out of usually um, a routine update cycle, or refusing to delegate tasks.
0: Okay, and I think that's what it gets down to. Is this? I think it's an issue with delegation. That's been my experience. So when I get into micromanagement, when you delegate, and I've talked about this on prior episodes too, in the management section. Uh, specifically, right? You got to select the right person, right? You're looking for someone who's willing and able and willing means you have the expert power to carry out the tasks that I'm going to delegate you to have the authority to execute. And then able means you've got the character to to execute them, right? You got the, frankly, the give a shit and you want to make things happen. So sometimes when you select the wrong person, they may have great give a shit and they might have great energy and willingness, but they just don't have the experience you need, right? Or the decision-making maturity you need. And then that represents itself in the inability of them to get the task done. So I think the first symptom of micromanagement might be misdelegation per se. But if you properly delegated, I think that's where the frustration comes in. Those who know, hey, I've I got the willingness and the ability to do this, and then I just keep getting this follow-up and this constant pulse on me, and I don't have the room to execute the thing you've delegated to me, and you're basically, you're not really giving me the authority I need. I think that's where it becomes a problem.
1: Definitely agree with that. Um, and that that, that really kind of, if you look at it from both sides, I mean, that even arose what trust may be there from the... The the sailor to that leader, because they kind of say, hey, you know, they don't really trust me to execute, get the job done. And on the other end, the leader's kind of like, hey, I give me the ball. I'm going to do <laughs> I'm going to do it all on my own, which I mean, it's not practical and it's definitely not feasible or healthy.
0: And sometimes it's the person does things different than you would and you just can't reconcile that as the leader. And it doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. They're just taking a different approach. So in that case, uh, from my experience, you see where people might want to dive back in and start to question or ask for these updates that you're talking about. And I think this is all more, I mean, we talk leadership and management, but I think that's more mismanagement than it is poor leadership per se. So you mentioned they are good leaders are a confidence multiplier. What do you mean by that?
1: I mean, that a confident leader, you know, they project confidence and they kind of take steps to help build the confidence in other other people. And that's usually through empowerment, you know, empowering them with the tools um, and the means and the guidance to go out there and work the task, complete the task, provide those updates and provide some feedbacks on maybe how the process could be changed and the task could be completed in a more efficient manner.
0: So on the spectrum of things, you I, I guess on the on one end you would have the insecure leader, right, who's very insecure. They don't right. even know their knowledge, skills, and abilities, or they have no confidence, or they don't know their value. And on the high end, you have the leader that's high on hubris, right? They've become overconfident and cocky per se. What's the impact on the follower when you see those types of leaders?
1: I think an overconfident leader, they don't necessarily give props. So really if a leader's overconfident and you're working in that that person's shop, it kind of seems like they're absorbing all the credit and taking, you know, getting all the, the face time when um, it's a team effort. You know, it's not one person's. I mean, I just said earlier is not doing. You know, can't do everything. So to see a leader who puts on the front, hey, I'm, you know, receiving the credit. I'm the one who's allegedly is is doing the task. That really personally hurts up the other folks on the team.
0: Have you worked for what I would consider an insecure leader? And if so, what did that look like?
1: So I have. And that was, it, it may have been on the, um, the the far end of the spectrum where it was, you know, most of the folks on the team were, uh, felt like they were working on eggshells. It really looked like it, they just weren't able to, to trust. And they weren't able to kind of say, hey, you know, I'm going to hand this task off to the chief and the chief's going to hand it off to the YN1 or the PS2 and you know I'm going to just ask for an update at the end of the day and trusting that it's going to be completed to specification it really looked like hey here's the task process this and then turn around about 5 minutes later what's the status what's the status what's the status of a task that is not due or relevant until next week or a month down the road
0: did you see a reliance more on positional power to a default to do it because I said so?
1: Not necessarily per se. I mean, that was definitely there, but it wasn't as apparent.
0: And I think we talked a little bit about the opposite side, right? That lack of confidence may also lead and that insecurity leads to that micromanagement bad habit on the managerial side. So another attribute you mentioned that you like to see in people that they, in your leadership, was that they were good storytellers. So why is that so important?
1: That's, that's important with creating the buy-in piece. Um, and Galvanizing support for a, a cause, sailors. I guess we feel a little bit left in the dark at times. It's, you know, what's the bigger picture? You know, where do I kind of fit in the the machine? You know, where do I fit in the mission? Being in the admin the department, that's something that that we kind of uh, routinely—I won't say struggle with—but we kind of routinely reflect on. And a leader that is a great storyteller is able to kind of take your um whatever your job or your rating does and tie it into the big picture for the the command you know the big picture for the wing or for uh, even the combatant command's picture
0: so what's a good storyteller look like do you use storytelling as a leader Um i do actually use storytelling as a
1: leader but a good storyteller um that i've kind of been able to Observe, or uh, my during my time on the DoD CIO staff, Mr. Sherman, he takes something as simple as you know me being the yeoman reviewing a congressional package, and he's able to say, "Hey, you know, you reviewing this and making sure that our response going back to Congress is timely and meets their requirements." That actually saves the taxpayer dollars. That actually puts a tool in uh, the warfighter's hand.
0: And then he can give specific examples of how that happened. Like, hey, I just engaged with congressmen, blah, blah, blah. Is that how that works? Absolutely. Okay. All right, let's get on to another one. So I think accessibility as a leader is important. So one of the attributes you said that frustrates you is when a leader is not available or not present. So let's talk about both sides of that spectrum, right? There's a balance. Yeah, I can be too present too, and I can be not give you the space you need, right? And that starts getting into micromanagement. Mm-hmm. And then I can be do, too disconnected. So what's your experience on this and what would you offer?
1: So my experience on this is, um, I mean, personally, I like to see you know um, leaders, um, both senior and junior, making a, a, a conscious effort to go to other shops and build relationships in those other shops and not necessarily kind of just stay in their own, um, you know, their own cubicle or division. And in, in my experience, um, I've had uh, both. I've seen, you know, some leaders who like to kind of just stay in, in their own office, in their own space. And I've seen those who you always see them at Command PT. You see them at all the um, fundraisers and um, outside functions. And you see them in the crews the spaces checking on sailors, seeing how the work is going and, you know, really kind of taking an interest in, in
0: people. Yes. And that's so important, right? I had a routine of getting out and about, right? And it wasn't, I just had to dedicate that time and, you know, walk my spaces and talk to people. And it varied. depending on what I was doing and what was was going on at the command. But the things for me it got, number one, people want to see you because then they know you care, right? And this has to be genuine and authentic. Mm -hmm. You can't just be out and about and you don't engage your people in an authentic way. You've got to actually want to be out there because they'll know if you're out there and you care and you're asking engaging questions about how things are going, what do they need, how are they doing, these kind of things that uh, inform you, right? The second thing I think it does is when you go out and about, when people are doing their job, right? It gives them an opportunity to show right. and have pride in what they're doing, right? Hey, mm-hmm. what are you guys up to? What are you doing? You know, what's this thing doing? And they can explain what they're doing, right? So it it's actually a sort of reward power when you get to do that, right? People get to show you what they do, and they get that sense of pride in their job. So it's hugely powerful to just go around and like ask meaningful questions and really care about what they're engaged in and what that product's doing. And then taking time to connect what they're doing to the broader objectives like you mentioned. And then finally, from the information power base side, when you talk to people, right, and you ask questions, they're going to give you information about how things are working, right, how management processes are playing out, how your influence is being received. So you can then go back and shape your decision making and frankly, evaluate how well the decisions you've made are translating down the organization. So this getting out and about and being a present, visible leader is important. At the same time, I always recognize that I had lower level leaders. They were exerting influence and they were getting things done. So I need to give them the space they need to operate and to do the things they need to do. So I think there's a balance to it, but I think it's definitely an important point. Absolutely. Lifelong learning that's another attribute you look for in your leader. So how do I know someone's engaged in lifelong learning?
1: So you know someone's engaged in lifelong learning when uh, when they may extracurricularly continue to, to conduct their own research or continue to go to school even after they may have gotten a, a degree. And they just really kind of just have a thirst to go out and be with others and learn from them. And that kind of in turn makes them a more cognizant and relevant person, kind of keeps them, you know, aware of what's going on both in and outside of their area of expertise. And I've really found that that leaders that I've seen who are who you could consider lifelong learners, they may not know everything about what's inside their portfolio, but they make the like the conscious effort to go out and to try to to learn more and to continue to learn more. And I think that that's really, really important.
0: So I think part of this gets down to, I think you value education and lifelong learning, but not every person does. So I think there's people that would mm-hmm. not care if their leader is a lifelong learner or not, if they're not. I think this is really values-based, and I'm not saying it's not important or not, but I definitely think you've got to continue to learn about your profession and the job you do day-to-day, right? Because things happen Absolutely. all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think lifelong learning keeps you better informed and educated, right? So you're more aware of broader things and it really helps enable your influence tactics. So if I'm going to talk rational persuasion, the more informed, the more knowledge I have about things um, outside my world uh, and outside my normal perspective – they really can inform those influence tactics you're trying to use. Whether it's rational persuasion, perhaps you hear and learn a different perspective from another leader or an, you know an inspirational person, and it can inform an inspirational appeal. So I think it's really important. Not everyone gets it. I value education. It used to turn me off when I'd hear people say, "I have a PhD." You know, public high school diploma. And I'm like, okay, great, but. Consider your audience, right? So if you have an audience right. that values off-duty education, and you don't do that, and you don't show continual investment in your trade, your craft, and your profession, that will distance your people from you. Again, they'll have to follow you because you're the in yes. in the position of authority. But as you said, uh, they won't buy into you for sure.
1: And and you're right. It's I mean, education is or continuous education is not for everybody. But I mean, just to to be technically savvy as our jobs tend to change as processes change i mean i just think that it's a really good quality to just try to be aware of what's kind of going on around you
0: okay so another one you don't like is that they're on the opposite side of this is they're not well read or informed so number one how do you know they're not well read and informed and number two what's the impact on the team when they're not
1: so they're they're not really well read or informed when you may have a um, a, a brief and your leadership may be briefing their uh, next leadership in the chain of command, and they're not really sure kind of, of what the ins and outs of what's what the content is, or they don't necessarily take time to review materials beforehand and kind of conduct their own individual analysis before um, an actual brief goes live. And the impact of that is you have the worker bees kind of doing a lot more research, a lot more writing, a lot more reading to try to step in. I will say that it's, it is, it is. I think it's okay to rely on your subject matter exports or to have them kind of around you, but I don't think that it's really a good practice to over rely on them and not try to take a step to, you know, to know what's going on, especially if it's, if it's in your portfolio or a part of your job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 'Cause your expert power base takes a hit, right? You've heard me talk about mm-hmm. that a lot, right? And that's a key piece again to your credibility. So when so people are watching to your point about briefs, right? You got the leadership watching you and assessing you. Uh you got the people watching you and accessing you. When I was a fleet mass chief, I would walk in, I'd have the privilege, frankly, to go into audiences. Of hundreds of people right and because i was a fleet mass chief they got me so far they got me in the door it got me teed up and there was an expectation of some kind of competence and character that was going to come out of my mouth when i started talking but as soon as i started talking you know and before i started talking they were looking at me right to look for these things but as soon as i started talking they could tell by the things i said and the way i answered questions if i was not well informed on issues And if you're not well-read, right, reading is important. I talk about this a lot because it helps build your vocabulary. And when you read more, you speak better and you write better. And that translates into how you influence people. So that's how I see it playing out. And it's cringeworthy sometimes when people come out and they give briefs or they talk to an audience. And you can tell they're just not informed of the audience or of the topic. And you can see immediately that they lose buy-in people stop listening, they get eye rolls, they get cynicism and those kind of things. So people really have to pause and think about when you're going to come out and say stuff, it better be backed up with being informed and well-read. So I'm with you on that one. Another one you talked about was this concept of accountability as a leader, right? So good leaders practice self accountability and team accountability. And on the other end, they don't. So why is this so important to you?
1: I look at accountability as kind of like, no matter what, what goes on um good or bad pass or fail i mean there's there's going to be consequences i mean that's just the fact of the matter um i think that accountability is extremely important because that kind of really gives us the opportunity to take a step back and assess like where we went wrong you know where the team went wrong or where you know i as a leader may have gone wrong
0: okay do you see the bad leader does the blame shift the poor leader
1: usually <laughs> They'll extract themselves and say, "Hey, you know that one's that one's on the team," kind of throwing the team under the bus, which is really a not. That's really not a good way to 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 keep your team on board or to. It's just not the right thing in general.
0: No, so they'll shift that blame in several directions, right? They'll perhaps blame it on their team, breaking that whole mantra of. Hey, the failures are yours as the leader the successes are the teams, right? So you praise the team when you have the big success. You don't take that on as your own personal success. But when the bad things happen, a good practice is you take that on board and you take the blame for it, right? You either micromanaged or you did not communicate well, or you didn't use influence tactics or use poor managerial skills. And because of that, your team did not deliver, right? I can't believe there's a bunch of people, bad people all coming in together, not wanting to do what they want to do. They're just not well-led and managed or the blame shift goes up. Uh well, I wasn't informed or I didn't do this or I wasn't empowered kind of thing. Those to me are the indicators of lack of accountability. When you hear and see those things, what are you thinking and what is the team thinking about that leader? So I'm thinking
1: for one this is absolutely terrible because I mean, it like to truly have a high performing team, you have to stick with the one team one fight kind of mantra. You know, we're in this together and to as a to to see a leader kind of separate themselves from the when when a team you know messes up or fails at something I mean that's that's really damaging I mean they don't want to they don't they the team would then probably not they will not you know want to invest you know or work as hard for that particular leader and that's that's going to directly affect the mission or the task that we're trying to we're trying to get done
0: yeah. To the point you brought up earlier, this connects with these other things you like in leaders, right? So the confident leader is confident enough mm-hmm. to know that my bad, we'll learn from this and we'll go on, right? I'm, I know that it doesn't reflect on me or the actual team per se, right? And, we, right? and I'm confident enough to know that we can work through this. We can make the adjustments and I'm confident in my leadership. They'll give me the space to do that. And I'm confident enough in my team that they know that, hey, I'm human too and I can fail. It also speaks to your ability as a lifelong learner, right? To learn from the mistakes, to learn from the shortfalls and move on. So again, when you don't have those attributes that you look for in the goods, right? The confident leader, the lifelong learner, it affects, I think, this ability to take accountability. And again, I did an episode of accountability with the uh, retired flea master chief April Beldo. So if you want to hear more about those thoughts and her perspectives, I think that was a great episode. So I'd encourage you to check that out. All right, Dan, let's wrap this up. Uh, any last thoughts on anything you missed or wanted to talk about?
1: I did kind of want to talk about uh like another kind of best practice or a positive that I like to see in some of the leaders and sailors that I work with the ability to just separate from what's going on at work and you know what's what's going on outside of work. I mean, I've seen like leaders who come in oh dark thirty in the morning and they're leaving nine o'clock ten o'clock in the evening. I just think it's really important to have a life outside of, you know, the organization you're working in and to have a hobby because that kind of recenters you as a person. So that way, when you do get back to work and things are hectic or things are not going your way, you don't get completely overwhelmed and shut down. And as a leader, you don't start to feel that tendency to shift blame um, to other parties or micromanage or lean into any one of the um, worst leadership practice that, practices that we discussed today.
0: I haven't done an episode on that yet, but I have to do one more on the leading self I've touched on a little bit. But these four domains of investing in yourself, right? To, it doesn't even matter if you're on active duty. There's many professions out there where your job as a leader or manager to, definitely takes a toll on you personally. right? Mm-hmm. So you have to invest Absolutely. in these four areas, it's mental investment, Investing in your physical domain, your social domain, and your spiritual domain. So to your point about having hobbies and a life outside, investing and keeping yourself healthy, that's really crucial because when you don't do that, stress goes up. And then that manifests itself in behaviors in front of your team that will distance them from you and make you less effective or, frankly, make you distracted and make you a less effective leader and manager. So, All right, Dan. Thanks for taking some time to join me today. Uh, I think this was a good perspective. And uh, hey, let's look uh, for some opportunities to do this more, maybe with some of your peers and uh, get their perspectives into this as well. So good luck to you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Paul. All
0: right, everyone. That uh, does it for another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. As always, thanks for joining me. Uh, if you want to provide feedback, please email me at cutlessleadership at gmail.com. And as always, please listen, like, share it, comment, spread this content around to those you think can most benefit from it, and then take time to reflect on the things for yourself so you become a more sturdy, versatile, incredible leader. Until next time, we'll talk to you then.